Hello, welcome to Locked On Suns, part of Locked On Podcast Network. Today is always your most Evan Sider, and as always, enjoy my co-host, Brennan Clean. You can follow me on Twitter at East Sider. You can follow Brennan on Twitter at Brennan Clean 14 Also, make sure to follow our Locked On Suns Twitter page at Locked On PHX Suns. Your supporter there is very much appreciated. We're back with you today following our recap episode, which will be going up for the bright side of the Sun listeners. It'll be going up alongside this one, so don't worry about that. It's already up on Megaphone, so it'll be in your airwaves soon enough if you, have, if you haven't listen to it yet but if not go right ahead and do so but today we're going to go more into a shorter episode today we're just going to focus more about Mikhail Bridges how we've thought about him so far because we focused an awful lot about on DeAndre Aiden and we're also going to look ahead a little bit to DeAnthony Mellon and Elliot Kobo why are they not playing what's their future with the Suns this year and then also we'll wrap up with our final segment looking ahead to the Suns schedule and if they can get out of the hole they're currently in so Brendan I'll toss it to you for your initial thoughts about Mikhail Bridges because I've been talking about him a lot on Twitter. I think it's pretty obvious when it comes in the game that he's a spark plug. He's a guy that should be getting way more than 15 minutes per game. And he's a guy that last night should have been playing the first quarter, but somehow, some way, he didn't even play to the end of the third quarter. Yeah, yesterday was was definitely weird. You and I were talking about before the game that we thought of all nights, just knowing how the Lakers like to play. Well, I don't even know if it's like to play or just have to play, but it ended up being the case last night again for them where they're playing really small almost all the time. There would be lineups where LeBron or Kyle Kuzma were kind of effectively the center, especially when DeAndre Ayton was out of the game, they went to that. So I thought if if we were going to see it last night made a lot of sense. Now, I guess we can, we're probably going to end up in a situation where we're saying that every night because it's pretty obvious at this point that he needs to be on the court. So really... There's not a night I don't think he should be playing a lot. He's earned the time, and he looks good, and uh, I think he fits their style on both ends pretty perfectly. So it's been puzzling that he hasn't been able to get on the court, but I wanted to go through. I pulled it up quickly just to kind of back it up. Fans can see it. I know. I've, we've, we've all seen it on Twitter. Pretty much anybody watching this team is clamoring for Bridges to get on the court, but the stats back it up too, and I just wanted to bring those to light. So offensively now he's only played 45 minutes but it's almost as glaring to show not just the 45 minutes he has played but the 147 that he hasn't um and so on the court when he's on the court the the sun's offense is scoring 115.3 points per 100 possessions that's basically the best on the team it's just a, a a little bit shy of deandre ayton's team leading mark um, when when he's been off the court, it's just about 101 wow. points per 100 possessions. So there are 14.3 points per 100 possessions better now. Like I said, it's only 45 minutes, but especially the show off the court, when when some of these really solid players have been off the court, especially guys who have been knocking down shots for this team are off the court, the, the offense has just fallen apart. Now, Aiton's the main guy for that. The team's just been terrible without him on the court. But... And, and considering how much he's played, it's, it's even more evidence in, in supporting him. But the defense is basically the same for Bridges. So when, they're, when the Suns are playing with Bridges, they've only allowed 100 points per 100 possession, but one point per possession. And that's incredible. I mean, especially with how crazy good the offenses playing against the Suns have been this year, for Bridges to come in and make that impact has been noticeable, obviously. And then when he's off, when he's off the court, They've allowed 118.7, nearly 119 points per 100 possessions. Now, they've been pretty bad on defense by any measure. Um, so all those 
118.7 is, is pretty close to really just their normal at this point. Like when Aiton's been on the court, they're really not even that much worse. And he's been one of the better uh, defensive players on the team. So it's just pretty glaring. He's altogether, if you compare the on and off for the defense and the offense, he's the Suns have been 33.1 points worse per 100 possessions net rating when he's off the court versus on it. Yeah, thinking more about that with guys like Trevor Ariza, Jamal Crawford, Ryan Anderson, seeing how those guys are going to fare moving forward in the rotation. We even spoke about on last night's episode relating to it, specifically the Mikhail Bridges and his pro readiness. We both thought when that trade was happened on draft night that he was a guy we were clamoring for even before that, that if they wanted shooting, they wanted versatility, Mikhail Bridges is the guy they should go after, and they did. But he's the most NBA-ready prospect in the draft. Up there at top three, I think. You have to wonder why he wasn't already in the rotation, but I think, like you said, Brent, the numbers are backing it up that moving forward, that he's going to be a guy who gets continuously more and more minutes. Do you feel like they have any sort of, I mean, besides the fact that he's a veteran, you assume he'll eventually turn it around. The one thing he's always done throughout his career is make shots. And so I think Anderson will start to be more of a positive for the offense after a while. Um, I wouldn't expect him to just fall off as a shooter but do you feel like them going out and acquiring him and and talking about how much of an impact he was going to make on their offense is holding them back a little bit and making a change like that to get him off the floor and and replace his minutes with more for guys like tj warren or mikhail bridges i think so and he's also if i'm not mistaken he's the highest paid son on the roster this year so you have to get him some sort of playing after a guy like sarver who is playing the roster and he's also putting together roster that if the guy Ryan Anderson is supposed to be a good four spacer, he's not making his shots, even though many of them are good looks. They just aren't falling out like you mentioned there, Brennan. But what do you think about Anderson overall? Because he he's averaging 21 minutes per game so far, which isn't much at all for a starter. Do you think those minutes continue to dwindle off here? McKilbury's continues to really shine in his limited minutes because if we're looking at the rotations a little bit, I think Anderson's the guy, and maybe even the guy Jamal Crawford gets his minutes limited. But with how Igor's rotations have been, that – Really, last night, Brendan, was the first time I was kind of openly confused by Igor's rotations. I don't know if it caught you off guard as well, but hopefully that changed moving forward. Yeah, it's been interesting. Um, I think I have a, a few numbers for, for Anderson as well, just because he's the obvious guy to play less, to make room for, for Bridges to play more. Um, and I, I tried to look at it through the lens of DeAndre Ayton. Now, the, the caveat with looking at on-off for guys together or even really in general sometimes can just be that. So if you look at the sun stats, while both of those guys, Aiton and Anderson are playing, you know, those are the starters minutes. So not only are those two guys on the court, but those are going to mostly be minutes where Devin Booker's on the court, Trevor Reza's on the court. So those are going to, hopefully if your team is, is properly constructed and the rotation makes sense, those minutes are going to be better no matter what, but that's been the case. So Anderson has had a positive impact on the Suns when he plays with Aiton and Aiton's been better with him on the court as well. So um, when, when Anderson's on the court with Aiton, the Suns are plus 2.8 points per hundred possessions. Um, and I think that that's indicative of what I think the Suns were hoping to get from him. The fact that defenses still respect him for the most part, we've still seen, most of his attempts be pretty contested. Teams aren't just leaving him wide open. So that's why I do think 
he's still having a positive impact to some degree, but you, you really see it not when he's attempting shots, but when he's playing defense against a lot of matchups. There was a matchup more the first time we saw a few where Aiton was out on an island against LeBron last night that were pretty entertaining. The crowd kind of came alive to watch those just because it's like the two guys against each other. But one of those, I think the first one, Anderson just threw Aiton over to LeBron because he knew he had no chance. And that's just worrisome. And you see it on the glass too. Aiton's getting, or Anderson's getting completely outworked on the glass a lot of the time. And it's problems like that that make it really seem to me like they could use the infusion of athleticism um, and feel for the game versatility that Bridges brings that, that Anderson doesn't. What do you think really quickly? Cause I was asking some people on Twitter about this and, and messages, just thinking long-term about this with the Suns. Cause I know Ryan McDonough, the former GM said Burris could be a two, three or four, more of a three, four initially. So do you think right away with both guys like Josh Jackson, Mikhail Burris, they're both barely 205 pounds. Do you think either of them could handle full-time four minutes right now? No, but I think TJ can, and that's what helps. So if you can get better floor spacing with with TJ Warren on the court, it makes it a lot easier to throw out some of those lineups. I think that was the concern heading into the season, and then that's why I started to come around on, on getting Anderson. But to me, Warren again last night was at least not up to his usual standard that he set for himself through three games, but still took two, if I remember right and made one of them, they were both close, and they were both contested. Um, defenses are starting to, I think, hopefully respect him as a shooter, and they'll have to if he keeps shooting this well. And I think that makes it easier to have any number of him, Ariza, Bridges, and Jackson all on the court at one time. Well, obviously get to the schedule here in the last portion of the show, but just a quick little sneak peek from a Ryan Anderson point of view. If the Suns are still struggling, and most importantly, if Anderson is still struggling, if you're Igor, when do you make a change to the rotation? I mean, I think it's it's really going to just be dependent on him, his own performance. I don't think that they're going to look at – I don't think you're saying this either, but I'm just – you know, from my perspective, like I think it's really just going to be a matter of how, how long before he just – how long does he have to stay cold before you just stop giving him the leeway to get hot again? And I don't really know what the number of games looks like for that, but I think you – if you see him continuing to play this poorly – uh, it'll come sooner rather than later, for sure. Before we talk about D'Anthony Mellon and Elliot Coba and their lack of playing time through the first four games, let me tell you guys really quickly about Locked on NBA Net, our promotional Twitter account that involves guys like me, Brendan, John Corrales, Locked on Celtics, Adam Murray's Locked on Nuggets, David Locke himself of Locked on Network, and um, Utah Jazz. He runs the Locked on Jazz podcast. Every one of the writers you can think of over at Locked on Network and the podcasters we're all on one feed. You can follow along at Locked On NBA Net. It's a really good resource to follow for every single NBA team. Whenever news breaks, you'll know Locked On NBA Net's around top of it because all of our reporters are embedded in those locations, and we're usually around top of the news as it breaks. So make sure to follow Locked On NBA Net if you want to have a more national scope outside of Phoenix. I know you guys enjoy our coverage here, but there's definitely a lot more fun, a lot of really fun podcasts out there, and a lot of informative ones too involving the rest of the NBA. So if you're not already, make sure to follow Lock on NBA Net. Yeah, I know a lot of people like to make lists of like separate their Twitter feed out into like basketball, news, whatever. That's really just what this podcast feed is or uh, Twitter feed is, is all the podcast hosts who are at these games and, and covering the teams being funneled into one place. So it's a super easy way to keep track on it, especially on a busy game night like last night where there's, you know, 12 games going on to, to keep up with all of them. But I also, before we go on to the two rookies who we haven't seen, 
I want to talk to you guys about Blue Chew. Remember the days when you were always ready to go? Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up, bluechew.com. That's blue like the color blue. Brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra or Cialis, so you know that they already work. You can take these pills, chewable pills, anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach, and because they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, regular one that you would swallow, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visits, no waiting around in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and because Blue Chew prepares and ships directly to your door, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. So it's cheaper, less time, less awkwardness. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit bluechew.com, like the color blue, and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code Locked On. Just like always, all one word, the name of this show. All you're going to have to do is pay $5 shipping, and they'll cover your first order. Again, that's bluechew.com. Promo code locked on to try it free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for becoming sponsor. All right. So, was it just me that thought it was very odd when we saw the uh, lineup calls, the sheets we get every night, and Mikhail, or wow, Elia Kobo and DeAnthony Melton were both inactive? Did you, were you as surprised as I was? Yeah, especially coming off the night Monday where DeAnthony Melton was the backup to Isaiah Kanan. Elliot Kobo was inactive as well on Monday, but he didn't see the floor at all in a blowout loss outside the last few minutes, I think. So it's kind of worrisome, to be honest, because if you're drafting two guys, technically they didn't draft Anthony Mellon, but I know Ryan McDonough had both those guys with first-round grades, and I know that they were considering a Kobo at 16. If he if there was different options not available on board, like DiVincenzo and other guys like that, they were just considering a Kobo at 16. So the having fall at 31 was a really big thing for that front office regime. So Having two guys who there was high hopes for, and D'Anthony Melo's defense especially, who I thought would be an instant impact guy, Brent and I both have in, the, in our, our lottery and our top 15 prospects. So it's kind of worrisome to me that they're kind of going with a guy, Jamal Crawford, over D'Anthony Melo and Elliot Kobo, even in blowout losses, because I don't see why, especially in a game like the, really the last three games, why you're not having guys like Elliot Kobo and D'Anthony Melo alongside McKill Birds getting that run once blowout game. Yeah, I agree with you. It, it definitely prevents you from seeing them at any point and knowing, I mean, you don't go into a game plan to get blown out, but you know that that's a possibility with uh, such a young roster, such a young, really everybody is pretty young and the good, the vets aren't playing super well. We've seen blowouts every night and that means when you make those guys unactive, they're not going to be able to play. But even apart from that, how much of, a, of an impact do you think it had that Melton was acquired so late? We've heard so many guys not even outwardly expressing frustration yet. I don't think we're at that point, but they've all talked about how much of a learning curve it was to adjust, especially the veterans who have been on the suns for longer than just this year to learn and adapt to Igor Kokoshkov's um, system on both ends of the floor, but especially offense. Uh, how much of an impact do you think that's having on, especially Melton having come in so late in the summer to be able to get on the floor? I think for sure it involves Melton because like you said there, he, he wasn't around till the end of August and you think more about it. You missed out entirely on summer league, that training camp they had. Elliot Kobo was a part of that, which kind of asked me why a Kobo's not getting minutes, but 
more so on Melton. I just think it's like you said, their familiar familiarity with the offense. He's probably is really behind. Like maybe Ryan Anderson not. I don't, that may, I don't know why because Anderson was acquired late. So maybe just because more of the shooting, the immediate impact he was needed. But it's it is worrisome. Just coming back to that point, Brendan, because I just think this team is so young, and you need to see at least what you have in a Kobo Melton. You also need to see it from an outsider's point of view with a Kobo Melton because. If they do eventually get a point guard and a trade, I think either Mellon or Kobo is probably going to be one of the, the chips sent out. Yeah. Do you do you feel like Melton would be somebody too, even apart from a trade that could help the defense? Because I feel like at this point, yeah, yeah it's not Kanan. He, he, I mean, he, he's playing hard for the most part on that end, but he just had such a physical disadvantage and gets lost a lot of the time, gets held up on screens. I feel like we, the same thing we were saying about Rashawn Holmes and Mikhail Bridges could apply to Melton where at the very least, he's worth a look because of the skill set that he already has. I mean, we see him all the time at shoot-arounds and practices and games up close. Like, you can tell, like, physically, D'Anthony Mellon is built to be a guard. Like, he's super long. He's very physically imposing already with his muscular build. I think he can handle himself like Shaq Harrison last year where he isn't immediately like a spark plug defensively and gets a lot of deflections and steals. I don't see why he's not in that role already, but hopefully in time, once maybe the Suns are – out of the playoff race, so to say. I know they're aiming for it now, which is kind of unrealistic in my opinion. But once they're probably around like December or January, I could see a lot more minutes for a guy like D'Anthony Mellon and Elliot Koba because I just don't see, like you said, Brendan, how Isaiah Kanan is a guy who's going to be relied upon even to December, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, before we finish up with talking about these guys, we should probably – we didn't get into it a whole ton yesterday, but Jamal Crawford saw his first real – playing time yesterday um you you mentioned that it was synced up i think it was you that pretty synced up with tyson chandler for the most part through all the games crawford's played in but that was the case yesterday those guys had the same exact minutes i don't remember exactly but i wouldn't be surprised if they were the exact same 14 minutes if they played every minute together and i think that was another area where it's frustrating to watch knowing the young talent on this team that isn't getting on the court because when the Suns offense started to devolve for certain stretches into ISO ball and just really far away from what they want to be running, the culprits a couple times was Crawford and Chandler trying to play a two-man game and just pick up the offense. And to me, maybe you get some buckets that way, but that's not the way to get the offense back in rhythm. And I feel like Crawford's the type of guy who, if nothing else, is going to be out there making the right decisions, rallying the team and, and just you know leading them and getting them to do what they need to be doing. That's the type, that's the type of talk we hear about a guy like Crawford or a guy like Chandler. And then yesterday they get off track and those two guys are just trying to play, you know, pickup and it got a little frustrating to watch. Yeah. I had my first moment last night in person where I had my no, 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 yes shots with Jamal Crawford. That's yeah. like a regular occurrence where just really a bad shot selection, but it goes in sometimes for him. And like, after the game that he wasn't looking for his own shot at all last night. Yeah, I don't know about that. Yeah, that, I was like, I understand. I'm glad that you feel like you don't have, you know, a right to a role above and beyond some of these young guys because I think that's the right mentality to have coming into a young team. But I don't know if if that's true. I wasn't looking for my own shot. Eh. Four games in, though, I guess keeping it on Crawford really quickly and also Tyson Chandler. Why in the world have you noticed this as well? I think it's obvious to the listeners as well that whenever Tyson Chandler's in the game, he all of a sudden becomes the primary option offensively. It makes no sense. Yeah, it's. I, th- I think it's a little bit of 
what I was trying to say too is just I think that they look to him as kind of the pick me up in in every way and on offense he's just not that guy anymore now yesterday he put up some numbers actually defensively struggled just as much as anyone but offensively was was really helping out four offensive rebounds for him is huge for a team that's been struggling on the offensive boards and plays a a four out pick and roll type of system that doesn't really get you a lot of offensive rebounds if Chandler's going to be able to come in and do that it'll be helpful but they can't give it to him with eight seconds on the clock and expect him to make anything happen yeah that's just a little worrisome to me really just wrapping up the point here on Kobo and Mellon also got Rashawn Holmes Hopefully those veteran minutes go away here soon once they're out of contention because I think that's probably most of what it is right now. Just They're just trying to be a competent, competitive team. But once they kind of fall out of the stands, I think that we're going to see a lot more minutes for those young guys. But before we move on to our last portion of the show, talking about the upcoming schedule for the Phoenix Suns and how they could do, I want to tell you guys about the Locked On Network as well. Just one more point about a special new episodes we're going to be having featuring Sam Amick of The Athletic and Ben Gall for Sports Illustrated. Two really well-respected guys. I know Sam I've been following himself in middle school. Like he's very well-respected alongside guys like Woj and those guys. So whenever you see a tweet from Sam Amick, you know it's legit. And he, nowadays, those two guys are going to be both weekly occurrence on Locked On with David Locke and Josh Lloyd on the Locked On Network. So make sure to go listen to that show. It's a national show every Monday through Friday. They cover every base around the NBA. So you'll hear some Suns talk sometimes. Probably not much because right now we're not doing so well. But once they get more into the national scope, you'll be hearing a lot more about the Suns. But if you are a general NBA fan, make sure to listen to Locked On NBA and also hear the voice of Sam Amick and Ben Gall, two really, really good journalists. Yeah, so we're just going to close, I guess, with looking at the schedule. Um, back-to-back this weekend, you and I were talking about is not what this team needs. Two, two games back-to-back on the road. And then when they come home, they're playing two really good teams again. So, I mean, do you think at this point, I know I haven't watched the Grizzlies. I don't know if you have, but are things going to get any better anytime soon for them? Yeah, looking at the schedule here, like you said, the Grizzlies and Thunder back-to-back, which is rough. I have seen a little bit of Memphis. I did see their opener because, as you guys know from Indiana, I did watch the Pacers home opener. They didn't look so good, but the last few games they have, Jaron Jackson looks legit. He's really fun to watch. And Mike Conley's getting his spunk back, and he's going to be a guy who's going to be a top 15, top 10 point guard really quickly here soon again because he's really showing up the past few games. But that's what worries me too with a guy like Isaiah Kanan with Mike Conley and Russell Westbrook in back-to-back games. Like I don't think it's going to get better anytime soon because after those two games, you didn't have the Spurs, who's once again criminally underrated this year. Even I was underrated, but I think they're going to be a playoff team this year with Pop and DeMar and, and LaMarcus Aldridge. Then you have Kawhi and the Raptors in town. Then the Grizzlies at home again. Maybe the Nets on November 6th, the next realistic game they could win. But Brooklyn's good this year. They're they're all right. Karis LeVert looks good. So, yeah, it could be a wild burden where we could be seeing really inconsistent stretches of basketball here. Yeah, I think um, I, I feel pretty good about their ability to compete against Memphis and Brooklyn at home next week. I think those are two teams at pretty equivalent level of talent. Now, I know – the ceiling on the Grizzlies might be a little bit higher because if, if those veterans put together a good night, they're obviously more going to be more competitive than the Suns, but that's a pretty young team as well. Once you get past the top two or three guys, they're still battling with health problems. That's the reason Jaron Jackson's in the starting lineup. Chandler Parsons still isn't right. The two stars, Gasol and Conley, are both you know coming back from 
seasons where they struggled with injury too. So I think two games against Memphis, I think they, they're going to be right in line to win either one of those. But yeah, I mean, we knew, we knew November would be pretty frustrating for such a young squad and it's looking like there's not going to be much of a difference between what we knew going in and, and what it's shaping up to be. It would be so nice if like San Antonio just completely fell off the face of the earth without Kawhi Leonard, but that probably was never realistic. And the Suns have them twice in November, both at home, but still. Yeah. The Spurs are legit. And there'll be a seven or eight seed this year over a team like Portland. But I think if we look at two little mini stretches here for the Suns to watch out for, if they want to be a competitive team this year, it is the five-game homestand starting Halloween night running through November 8th against the Celtics where you have the Spurs, Raptors, Grizzlies, Nets, and Celtics. You have to win at least two of those games, I think, probably against, like you said, Brendan, the Grizzlies and the Nets. And then you have a four-game road swing starting November 19th at Philadelphia with the Embiid 8 in Chapter 1. That, that rivalry kicks off. But then it wraps up November 25th at Detroit. And that's a four-game stretch where I think you have to really be competitive and maybe win two of those games, in my opinion. So it's going to be a really rough stretch for these guys that we talked about in our preview episode in the schedule release show. I think it was in September when that happened. But it's just going to be a really rough stretch for a while, I think, because this team is going to be one of those teams where if Aiden and Booker aren't on, it's going to be rough nights. I agree. I think it'll uh, it'll show, especially that road trip, will show um, – really the the metal of this team the toughness and that stuff that maybe doesn't show up in the stat sheet but um three straight 20 point losses uh seeing how they respond will be definitely interesting because i mean i don't think you or i think they're going to be a playoff team but even to be to make a legitimate improvement upon next upon last year and look good going into next year they need to be more competitive in the stretches that are challenging and, and force them to kind of be resilient. We've been giving them credit for doing that in the scoreboard and, and not getting these 40 point blowouts we saw last year and the year before. But at some point those need to be two point losses or two point wins or 20 point wins for it to really look any different. For sure. And I know some people have tweeted at bright side of the sun and me as well and said, Zion Williamson or RJ Barrett. I'm not going to start that just yet. October. <laughs> so at least wait till like February or something. Yeah. Hopefully this year, I know we were talking about in November, I think we start talking prospects. And really, I don't want to look forward to the draft this year because there's no. so much young talent now that the draft really shouldn't be in the utmost importance to them. But we'll definitely hold off for a few months before then until we'll see the win-loss tools for the Phoenix Suns. But that'll be it for today's episode. Did you want to add anything else, Brendan? No, just uh, like and subscribe to us. Uh, follow us on Twitter, all that good stuff. Tell your friends. The season's ramping up and we want to get as many people on board as possible before anything else happens. Hopefully before the first win, there's even more people excited because that would be nice. But yeah, tell everybody, go give us a, a review and a rating on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And we will, uh, we'll, we'll, you'll hear from us again tomorrow and on throughout the rest of the season, five days a week. Yeah, that, that'll do it for today's episode, guys. Burn pretty much put a bow on it there. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow.